Welcome to Clear Thinking Out Loud, written and narrated by Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge. Hi, I'm Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge, and welcome to The Dark Side of Your Emotional Needs, Control. How the need to feel a sense of control can lead to broken relationships, political tyranny, and depression. If everything seems under control, then you're just not going fast enough. So spoke Mario Andretti, the racing driver. What can you control in your life? Your health? What others think of you? How happy your lover is? The weather? Your finances? Your future? Your appearance? Your mood? Other people's moods? Can you control these things completely or just influence them to some extent? Some folk feel that they should have 100% control, others that they have no control at all over anything. This is part three of my Dark Side of Your Emotional Needs series and you might have seen the other parts already, part one and two. In this series, I explore how meeting needs in damaging ways is at the heart of much human suffering, emotional disturbance, and tyranny. We've looked at how, when people's needs remain chronically unmet, they become vulnerable, not just to mental illness, but also to manipulation by the unscrupulous. How did she fall for that conniving con man? Well, maybe he seemed to meet an unmet need in her life. How did he fall for that murderous cult? Likewise, it seemed to offer something that had been chronically lacking in his day-to-day life before he got sucked into the cult. Promises, promises. To rehash the analogy I've been using throughout this series, if you're dying of thirst, you might just drink engine oil. In this video, I want to talk about how the desire to feel in control can work and be used against us. One thing's for sure, we all need some sense of control. We often equate self-direction and autonomy with words like dignity, a word which, when you unpack it, really means control over one's decisions and actions. The controversial clinic in Switzerland, where some terminally ill people have chosen to end their lives on their terms, is actually called dignitas. It offers the ultimate control to choose when and where you die. When elderly people in nursing homes are allowed to make more choices, even minor ones, they have better psychological outcomes, even longevity. Having a sense of control matters to everyone, gives us that sense of dignity and safety. Whether you realize it or not, you've been seeking to develop and exert control since the moment you were born. So we're hardwired to self-determine. From the second we're born, we seek autonomy, independence, and control. We strive to control what we do, the effect others have on us, and the effect we have on others. Even the urges to walk, speak, and play are all partly driven by the desire for independence. A major parental role is to facilitate independence in their child so they can function and meet their and other people's needs when they develop into adults. Adults who feel at least some sense of realistic control tend to be much happier, which is why we need to look at how in or out of control our clients feel. And science has some interesting findings on this as well. A recent study found that having a strong sense of control over your circumstances reduces the risk of dying prematurely by 13%. Other research has shown that highly perceived control in adolescence is linked to lower psychological stress, better cardiovascular health, lower systemic inflammation, and reduced obesity by the time those adolescents reach adulthood. 
In turn, the healthy decisions that result from perceived control can lead to favorable outcomes much later in life. From pain sensitivity to the onset and maintenance of depression, how able or unable we feel to control our lives have far-reaching impacts on individuals. But here's the most interesting thing. Even just knowing you could control things seems to make a big difference. I recall seeing some research which showed that patients who were permitted to self-administer morphine for pain relief use much less than those who had to ask others to provide it for them. This quote from Wikipedia describes similar results from another study. In one experiment, humans performed mental tasks in the presence of distracting noise. Those who could use a switch to turn off the noise rarely bothered to do so, yet they performed better than those who could not turn off the noise. Simply being aware of this option was enough to substantially counteract the noise effect. Just knowing we have someone to talk to, whether or not we do talk to them, just knowing there are contingency plans in place, whether or not we use them, just knowing we can safely quit a job, whether or not we choose to, can make us happier, simply because the option is there. So we're always looking for options. I'll often ask my clients, if the worst did happen, what are some of the things that you could do? In this way, the end of the world becomes the beginning of a new one. But the need for control, just like all primal emotional needs, is so powerful that our drive to meet it can cause huge problems. Like all emotional drives, the need for control can be warped and abused and paradoxically lead to less control and even tyranny. We can fall prey to those who seem to offer more control, individual or national dignity, but, as if through a clever conjuring trick, end up taking control from us. Maybe your clients feel overly passive, that life must be done for them, or that no matter what I do, it doesn't make any difference. Learned helplessness is the intimate bedfellow of hopelessness, which is a central feature of depression. Misdiagnosing what you can and can't control in your life has major impacts. So why might people feel they're less able to control events than they really are? Learned helplessness is the general application of a specific learning. We feel powerless in one situation, so we come to feel powerless in all situations. That accountant I dated was manipulative, therefore all accountants are manipulative. But it's not just people who can learn to over-apply these feelings. Even animals can develop learned helplessness. Martin Seligman, who coined the term um, learned helplessness, found that humans and animals who learned they were helpless in one situation, because they really couldn't change things, would often over-apply that learned helplessness and not bother to try to change things in a new context where in fact they could have made a difference. That's all very well, but in the non-experimental ebb and flow of human life, how might people learn the illusion of too little control? How might they develop a misperception so powerful that it may shape their whole life? Over-controlling helicopter parents and institutions, despite the best of intentions perhaps, may pervert children's natural drive for autonomy. I say the best of intentions, but of course if the unconscious drive of the parent is to keep the child dependent, we might question those intentions. Worst intentions, disguised as best intentions, are the most dangerous of all. Parents, and I'm one myself, and I know they get a lot of stick, may mould children into overly dependent beings, keeping them infantilised, sometimes indefinitely. 
Parents need to be protective, involved and loving. But if the child can never have choices or take reasonable risks, they may not develop a sense that they can direct things for themselves. Often, depending on the child, there is a bounce back effect. Something's got to give because the need for self-direction, for dignity, is so strong in individuals. If the child doesn't rebel against helicoptering, they end up feeling that they can't influence their own lives and they're totally passive. They may sink into uh, passivity and powerlessness, feeling that life had better be kind to them because they have no control themselves. Always doing everything for another person steals their dignity and breeds a hopeless and depressive mindset. If we can't trust ourselves to do things, then how can we develop a sense of control? And a further trap may await the poor individual who's not learned to feel their own power. The overly dependent person may come to feel even less control if they're caught in the ever-widening dragnet of psychiatric diagnoses. Ironically, branding someone with a label like dependent personality disorder can make them feel more dependent. When that label is applied confidently by an authority figure, it's hardly surprising that the diagnosed person may feel more powerless. After all, it's who you are, hardwired. How could you possibly have the control to change it? But there's another way to come to feel that you're less in control than you really are. When a person who suffers intense and prolonged bullying, neglect or abuse feels unable to exert any influence over adversity of other kinds, they can be conditioned to feel that we, not our circumstances, are at the root of our powerlessness. Imagine that you've been caged for many years and one day you're freed but you can't bring yourself to leave the now wide open door of the cage. That's what it's like for people with a powerless mindset. Doing too much for a person can condition them into that mindset, as can prolonged adversity. Whatever the route to passivity, the result is often the same, depression and a sense of meaninglessness. As meaning-seeking, meaning-making creatures, this can feel like purgatory. On the flip side of the coin, some people have the opposite problem. They may come to feel they should control all kinds of stuff which is none of their business to control. Sometimes the need morphs into a greed. A simple and natural need for a good, healthy sense of control transforms into a need to dominate, in other words, hunger for power. Some see others as chess pieces to be carefully placed to meet their own needs. For these people, the need to control has grown wings and begun napalming all those that populate their lives. Rather than interrelating with others, they control and manipulate them to meet their own needs exclusively. We all might do this sometimes, but those who do it all the time have a serious problem. Such people are sometimes referred to as narcissists or sociopaths or and control freaks. So they see the currency of human relationships as one of control only. This can be bemusing and confounding for the victim of such interactions, who doesn't see all interaction as a power play. So how might this pathological social control be exerted? A person might exert control through force, the bellowing bully, the bull in a china shop steamroller, to spectacularly mix a few me metaphors there. But some controllers are more subtle. You might not even know you've been controlled until you spot the trend. Some people bully you so nicely for your own good, you can forget that it's bullying. Others may control those around them more artfully through emotional blackmail, exercising control by playing the victim, guilt-tripping you. If you leave me, 
to go out for this one evening with your friends. I don't know what I'll do. After all I've done for you. No, you go out. It's, it'll be fine. Don't you worry about me. You go and enjoy yourself. Emotional blackmailers control others quietly and subtly, all the while seeming to have no control whilst actually exerting a great deal of control. Such attempts at controlling others often result when our ideas about how things might be are too tight. Some people are perfectionists, rigid and brittle in the way they go about parts of their lives. Of course, many people can be like this sometimes, but for others it's an ongoing part of their personality and it can cause real problems. They know exactly how they want things, and the less you know too, boy are you in trouble. Maladaptive perfectionism is the desire or need to control all kinds of things that actually we would do well to relax with not having to control. The need for a sense of control can get so out of hand that we can't keep up with it, and ironically we end up feeling less in control. So paradoxically, relaxing with not having to control things gives you a greater sense of control. So often the antidote lies in the development of the capacity to relax with uncertainty. And of course, the feeling of wanting to control what may be none of our business to control doesn't have to be malicious. It can be done with the very best of intentions. Often people who uh, overextend their sense of responsibility, control, are decent and caring people. They may feel responsible for all their friends' and neighbours' marriages. Okay, maybe I'm exaggerating mildly. Or for every little thing to do with their grown children's lives. So sometimes, you know, people do have the best of intentions at heart and they're not just trying to control other people. And as I mentioned, people may try to control others by trying to make them feel guilty. By suggesting that the person they're targeting should have been able to control all kinds of things that they chose not to. You should have known I'd be angry. You made me do this. You should have controlled that. When the need for control is subverted because it's not met healthily, all kinds of emotional problems can arise. Occasionally I've seen clients who've told me they have at one time attempted suicide. One woman who had actually planned to kill herself said, you know Mark, it's weird, but when I made the decision, I felt better. Like at least I could do something. At least I could control this. This shows how vital the need for autonomy is and how when people don't meet it healthily, it will try to find expression in unhealthy, even fatal ways. The thwarted need for control, along with the need to feel safe, might also drive psychological conditions such as depression. Perfectionism has been linked to a much greater risk of suicide. Obsessive compulsive disorder. Jealousy, we feel we should control the actions or even thoughts of the object of our focus. Eating disorders, and of course chronic anger. We become enraged when we feel that we're not getting what we want, not shaping reality uh, the way we want it to be. All these conditions seek to increase our sense of control, but paradoxically can lead to feelings of loss of control. And our individualistic culture doesn't always help us as far as the personal control issue is concerned. The you can do anything idea. People reared with the idea that you can be whatever you want to be can paradoxically be disempowered by that idea. Why? Because when these self-righteous waves of oversimplified fantasy crash against the unforgiving rocks of reality, the disappointment can be so great as to send people to the opposite pole, feeling that they can't be anything they want to be. 
one extreme to the other. Human beings have been around for too long to still be peddling over simplifications. Yes, we can do amazing things, but wanting it isn't enough on its own. Knowledge, hard work and perseverance, personal predilection and the flexibility to change course if things aren't working are also pretty useful. Plus the ideology of I can be anything I want to be is a slippery slope. It can so easily be directed towards others. You can be anything I want you to be. Buying into the overly simplistic self-help ideas that everything, even disease, is down to what we want and therefore under our control is dangerous. On the other hand, learning how to relax with uncertainty, develop resilience and be cool with ambiguity are capacities that can really help people thrive and feel a greater sense of control. So is a little bit of cynicism. Through the ages, many leaders have sucked people in with the promise of more control right before snatching control away from them. So briefly, there are five simple steps to tyranny. Now, Adolf Hitler said the Third Reich will always retain its right to control the owners of property. It is imperative to carry out merciless mass terror against the kulaks, priests and white guards. Unreliable elements are to be locked up in concentration camps outside the town. So said Vladimir Lenin. Both leaders promised greater control whilst snatching it away. Without further ado, here then are five simple steps to becoming a successful dictator. Please don't follow them. Step number one, take one group or nation of people who don't feel much control. Step two, raise the anger and bitterness levels to a greater pitch, slowly bring to the boil. Step three, sprinkle in some emotionality, arousing promises of reclaiming dignity and control. Step four, add a dash of expectation that your system will give the people greater control and therefore dignity and status. And finally, step five, serve up your own power and take control from the very ones you promised it to. Mind you, to serve up this dish, you might need a healthy or unhealthy dose of charisma, just like Hitler or Stalin or Jim Jones. But if world domination isn't one of your hobbies, what about money? Scammers, and I include cult leaders, though to be fair they may also be scamming themselves, often offer the chance at great riches. We want more money because more money gives us more control. We may feel also that Kashola increases our status, meaning we have more control over what we believe others think of us. And one thing's for sure, it certainly increases our options. And the more options you have, the more control you have. Equating money with more control is all very well, but the drive for this kind of control can become so acute that we can be left in ruins by the first person who seems to say, follow me and get rich quick. Our desire for money and status and all the other goodies of life, for that matter, can perhaps be traced to our initial attempts as infants to move and direct our own realities, to get out of the playpen. If you feel powerless, that you have little dignity or autonomy, then your increased hunger for control might let you fall prey to any entity that seems to promise more. Watch for power plays in everyday life. How do others seek to exert control in all the myriad subtle ways of doing it? How many emotional problems, when we look at the pattern, are just misguided attempts to gain more control in ways that backfire and make things worse for the person themselves, as well as for those around them? How many puzzling or harmful behaviours are actually just cries 
for more control. How in control do your clients feel? What parts of their life do they feel they can influence and what parts not so much? How can we help them to in increase their sphere of influence or relax the with the feeling that they must control stuff they really don't need to control? It's not always easy to control ourselves and sometimes it might seem easier to let others control us or for us to try to control other people, to let them do the work. But we all need the power, control and dignity to make at least some important choices for ourselves. The trouble with handing over the steering wheel to someone else is that your best interests may be the last thing on their minds or in their hearts, whatever they tell you. As Lao Tzu said, he who controls others may be powerful, but he who has mastered himself is mightier still. So I hope you found that useful. I'm Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge, and if you'd like to subscribe to my email newsletter, you can find it over at unk.com slash blog. That's unk.com slash blog. Mm -hmm.